I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Yo, what's up? This is Sam Spiegel with Josh at Rebel Radio. <laughs> Does everybody say fuck you, Josh? What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh -huh. Rebel Radio is going down. Would you say Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. Check it out, it's Rebel Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Josh Levine. Hey, quick shout out to the Baker Boys for having me on their Dash Radio show, Cybertron. I think that's what it's called, something like that. Uh, you can find it on Mixcloud. I will post the link on our socials, but go to Mixcloud and search for Baker Boys and you can find yours truly talking about nonsense with the Baker Boys. Hey, my guest this week is the one and only Sam Spiegel, AKA Squeaky Clean. You might know him as the founder of NASA, not the space program, but the group that was North America, South America, making really dope sort of cross genre records a couple years back. I know him from way back in the day, he had a party called Suds, which was a club in a car wash. And when I was working with Scion, we brought them on as a sponsor and we had people listening to music while riding Scions through the car wash. Really cool experience, and uh, we've, we've known each other ever since. He also is um, got a great business making music for TV commercials, for folks like Apple, Adidas, and the luxury fashion boutique Kenzo. Really cool stuff there. And he's gonna tell us his stories about how he jumps genres musically, how he crosses different art forms, different business models, He's got some great lessons from Kanye West on giving and receiving feedback. And he's gonna tell us uh, about his unique approach to building company culture. Lots of great lessons coming up from Sam Spiegel after our EDM.com track of the week.
that was our EDM.com track of the week. That was Flexile with a track called Infected Love. I like that one, and I hope you did too. And uh, now let's get into our interview with Sam Spiegel. Without deadlines, like I can just tweak on something forever. Never, never be finished. That's funny. Well, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate yeah, you taking time. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while since since we started this, and um, you know, just digging into people whose whose work I respect and kind of how how we got there. Cool. Thanks, um, so yeah, so I always like to kind of just start at the very beginning and. Um, so I know you have this really interesting career now, but I want to kind of go back to how, how it got started and maybe even before that, how you got into music in the first place. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I was always like a big music kid growing up and stuff. I actually like played some classical instruments and sang too. What'd you play? I played flute and cello. Okay. And then, I even went, and then when I was 12, I was like already like DJing and just like selling mixtapes at school and stuff. Yeah. So what was the, do you remember the first, like, record that you felt like, like, this is my music? That might have been straight out of Compton. Okay. Do I look like a motherfucking role model to a kid looking up to me? Life ain't nothing but bitches and money. Cause I'm the type of nigga that's built to that the first record you bought? No, nah, the first record I bought was, I think the first record I bought was Vital Idol. Okay. The Billy Idol album, and I actually loved that too. Oh no, the first record that was like, this is my music, was definitely Appetite for Destruction. Okay. Because I bought that, me and my, my friend Nick bought, like, were obsessed with them, and I just yeah. remember, I bought it, I, was, I think I was nine, or mm -hmm. eight, maybe eight or something, and we just poured over like every detail in the artwork, and yeah. like every line that was written in the artwork and Isn't stuff. That cool? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, that was definitely, uh, yeah, and then I was just obsessed with Guns N' Roses at that moment in my life. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. It's funny that somehow Guns N' Roses and NWA sort of fit together. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah. I think they've been toured together. But like, Did they? I remember hearing that, and, uh, and it just sort of made sense. I never saw that show if they did. I would have liked to see that. Yeah. What, um, how'd you start DJing? Uh, man, I just started, like, just making mixtapes, like, actually, I didn't even have, like, you know, I wasn't doing it with vinyl, I was doing mm -hmm. it with, like, tape-to-tape -tape yeah, mixtapes. Yeah. Um, yeah, me and my homie actually have, like, we had a crew called, what was just J&S Mix Productions. <laughs> we were, like, 12, okay. and just me and my homie Jeff, and we just, like, made these mixtapes and sold them at school. Yeah. And my shit was, like, hip-hop, and, like, it was, like, Pixies... And like NWA, and and then Jeff's taste was a little more like he had more like Use Your Illusions era okay. Guns and Roses on uh -huh. there and stuff, and I and then uh, and then I was even get, starting to get into like some of the New York hip hop shit at that moment. I don't think Wu Tang was out yet, but like Tribe and stuff, mm -hmm. and I think actually like the kids at school kind of liked his mm -hmm. part of the mixtape better. Is that right? <laughs> So you guys would just do one tape and you'd like go back and forth? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then we played a bunch of the kind of school, uh, like, you know, parties and yeah. some of the school events and stuff. Do you remember your first gig, like playing live in front of other people? Uh, 
Yeah, I do. I remember playing a school dance. Yep, I do remember it. How'd it go? It was fun. It yeah. was fun. And yeah, we got hired to play like some like like younger kids party uh-huh. too. We're like, whoa, we're making money. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. So then, yeah, then I was in like I played in some bands. I had some bands in school, and then. Uh, then in my school there was like this one room that had like a couple computers with like some like you know like music production uh-huh. super rudimentary music production yeah, software yeah. on it that no one ever went in right. and me and my homie who were in a band together and we were like really into hip hop and beatboxing we were in New York so we grew up in like what I consider like kind of the golden era of hip hop you know and what part of New York? Uh, I grew up in Manhattan and then okay. I was in Westchester County for uh, a junior high and high school uh-huh. And there was just so much great shit happening there. Like, I, I grew up listening to everything, you know, like I think many people, my, I feel like my generation was maybe one of the early generations that just was like genreless, you know, mm-hmm. and grew up listening to everything like from, you know, ro- like jazz and funk, like what was called alternative rock at the time, hip hop, you know, it was a, it was fun listening to everything, but, but hip hop in New York in the early nineties was just like, you know, I was sure. listening to the stretch, taping to the stretch and Bobbito show mm-hmm. every, uh, every Thursday night and like Friday night flavors funk flex was actually like amazing then, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I think it was before the kind of pay to play thing started right. happening, but funk, huh. yeah, funk flex was great and it was just such a great moment. Um, and so I was really into hip hop and me and my homie, when we discovered this electronic, music room we just started like making beats on there and we would like do like weird james brown covers <laughs> and, like just goofy shit we had some like rap battles yeah we, like we, we we with some some other kids that rapped at our at our school and, was uh, was it like did you have a group of friends that were sort of that genreless or like because because a lot of kids weren't that a lot of kids were like they're punk rock or they're hip-hop or they're metal or whatever yeah, I don't know. It was weird. I felt like, like when I was in high school or whatever, like we were coming out of the time and like, if you watch any '80s movie or whatever, ever it was like the it was like everybody wanted to be defined culturally mm-hmm. in their little groups and segmented. Yeah. And then like in the '90s, I guess there was still like the grunge kids and whatever. But I, it also felt like there was these kids, like the kids that listen to Beastie Boys, also probably listen to like Tribe Called Quest. Sure. And some of them might even like listen to some like jam band shit or whatever. Back in the days when I was a teenager, before I had status and before I had a pager, you could find the app. And like, you know, it was a, it was felt like a mix. It mm-hmm. felt like, yeah, it was cool. And like, even like Beck and you know, Beck was kind of making genre list music at that mm-hmm. time, and, mm-hmm. and and Dust Brothers and. Yeah, it felt like a big mix, and yeah, I think a lot of my friends, kids I was around, like we'd go to like, you know, and also there was a great jazz scene in New York in the 90s, mm. like with people like Christian McBride and Roy Hargrove, okay. and like, so we were also going to see jazz, like whenever we could, you know, there nice. was this great uh, club called Smalls that I think is mm-hmm. still there, and it was like five bucks, and it was just like an open mic, and we'd go there like, you know, we'd go there and just like sneak booze in or whatever, and just yeah. like be drunk and like smoking weed or whatever and sure. like just watching jazz so yeah I think it was a good mix it was like in New York at the time there was because you know the, the jazz thing happened a little bit later after the real great uh, what I felt like was the 
golden age of the hip hop, early '90s, and then mid '90s there was like this great jazz scene. But mm-hmm. and were you were you into the skate scene too, or or really just I music? I skated. I skated, but like. I didn't skate as much. When I'd come out to L.A. and visit my brother, I'd come out here every summer, and then mm-hmm. I'd skate a lot when I was out here. But okay. I had a couple friends who skated in New York, but not that much. It wasn't like a heavy scene. And then yeah. when I came out here, I'd be around a lot of skateboarding. Yeah. Interesting. Because I, I feel skate culture sort of predates like this uh, jumping between genres. Right? Because I, I feel like those kids early on were like, were into... Punk and hip hop certainly, and yeah. maybe other stuff too. That's true. I mean, there was and there was so much great music on like those skate films too. Yeah. It, it would be like Charles Wright, "Express Yourself," uh-huh. and then like a Bad Brain song or whatever, yeah. and then like some hip hop shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, n- I never really thought of that. So, so when did you feel like this was going to be a career? Oh man, it's crazy because I never even considered that no. it would be a career. What, what did you think you were going to do? I don't know. I I made a lot of like short films and stuff when I was in high school, and I was mm-hmm. really into filmmaking, and I still am, you know. But music was always something that I had just done, and I never considered it. And then I came out to L.A. I moved out to L.A. when I was 18, and uh, and then I remember like I was just making beats for fun, and then I met Fat Lip from Farside, mm-hmm. and then and then like. And making beats was it was something that was so easy. And then when I started working with Fat Lip, I was like, "Whoa, wait! This is something that I like to do, and I just do it for fun. I could actually like do this for a living." <laughs> yeah. It never even occurred to me. Is like right? I never even thought of it. Was that something that Fat Lip like? Did he put you up on that, or or you not just really. sort of realized it? No, Fat Lip. Fat Lip did not. No, no. I just yeah. kind of realized. It. I was like, "Whoa, this is fun. I enjoy this. I'm. Yeah. I'm. I, I can do this well." And uh, yeah, and then the, this is like a this is a dude that is like from one from like one of my favorite mm-hmm. like groups ever. Yeah, and he's fucking with my beats. Like I, I maybe I could be a music producer. Yeah. yeah. Uh. I pay my dues, refuse to lose, so fuck the blues. Ain't your bad news. You can trip and, uh, with the juice. You know, even though it wasn't easy with Fat Lip, you know, I made like I'm sure trillions of beats before finally he was like, all right, I'll fuck with this. Is that right? We just had Trey on the show, and he uh, he also told us it wasn't easy with Fat Lip. No, it was a dark. I think, you know, they love each other or whatever. Oh, but. I love both of those dudes. Yeah. And, like, man, Fat Lip, I feel like Fat Lip just put me through, like, school. Cause, yeah. Like, as far as, like, it was some dark times for Fat Lip. Sure. Um, and I've been through a lot of times with Fat Lip. I think that was the darkest, like, early mm-hmm. 2000s in... Uh, and uh, yeah, he put me through. He taught me basically how to deal with the hardest artists you ever could imagine, because mm-hmm. he was going through some real like you know personal stuff at the time. And yeah. and uh, and uh, you know, but you know, I love that too. Later on, it was great because then later on, we like on the NASA tour, we got to take him around the world, take mm-hmm. him to China and stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's my dude. That's family, like for sure. Nice. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was, it was a fun moment, and Trey was around then too. We were making yeah. music with him, and uh, and then um, and then yeah, and then um, around that same time, I started doing some music for some of the Girl and Chocolate uh, films. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one I worked on was uh, Yeah Right. Okay.
remember Spike and Ty. That was the first time Spike and Ty Evans had kind of worked together on one okay. of the films. It was right when Ty Evans started working for a girl, and he ended up later doing like he did Pretty Sweet and yeah. uh, Fully Flared, and yeah, like I feel like a bunch of great girls. How how was that um, working with your brother? I mean, it was cool. I remember. I think at first my brother was like. He was just like, hey, do you want to try to make something for this? And since I was like his younger brother, he was like, he, he liked my music and stuff, but he mm -hmm. was kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. I, I remember I, I made something for the intro. For this, yeah. like The intro for, uh, for Yeah, Right was like this super epic, super slow-mo, uh, epic feeling kind of uh, intro. And, and I made this like real weird, tripped out, but epic feeling like Martian landscape soundscape kind of uh, piece and then I played mm -hmm. it for him and he's like yeah I think it's cool and then I played it for Ty, Ty and Ty was like oh my god this is amazing and uh, <laughs> and he was like freaking helps, out sure. and then all of a sudden and then Spike was like oh oh yeah no yo this, this is cool right. like and I think it kind of like and then it, it made him like it maybe it like legitimized my sure me for him because that was his like partner that he his creative partner at the moment yeah that he would like respected a lot so yeah. Um, so yeah, after that, that was kind of like the first thing I did with them, and then I ended up just doing a ton of stuff over the next like, like ten years or something mm -hmm. for all the Girl and Chocolate and mm -hmm. Lakai films, mm -hmm. and um, but that was the first time that I kind of worked with picture like music to picture. And, and was that uh, was that um, was that different? Did it feel like was that a better fit for you I for mean, some reason? It just I mean I was like because I like I said I had thought I was going to maybe be a filmmaker and, yeah. and so I was like a, so I like brought those together yeah, yeah yeah still like I was I'm, I'm was a film fanatic and still am like I just love watching movies and and uh so that was like a great yeah that was a great kind of you know, amalgamation of uh, amalgamation of like two things that I love doing mm -hmm. and uh and yeah it was fun it was really fun and I love skateboarding too so it that's kind of sure. Yeah, like three disciplines of art forms that I love. Yeah, yeah, coming yeah. together. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so I did that one, and, and I did yeah, right, and and then from that uh, ended up kind of some people took notice in like the advertising world, and then started getting hit up for doing some uh, some commercial music as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, was that something you had thought of? Like, no. was that part of the plan, or it just sort of happened? That was sort of happened. Yeah. And uh, there was a couple that, that sort of happened. There was like one commer one commercial early on, also that Spike asked me to help him with music for. Mm -hmm. And then I did it, and it was so fun. And excuse me. And then uh, and then got asked to do another commercial, and you know, just people saw that I had done it, and yeah. you know, and then a couple of the early ones won some big awards. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like without even like knowing what was happening, like I had a commercial music company, yeah, uh, which at first was like just me working out of my house and and like, and I just have friends come through and work on stuff. And then all of a sudden there was a lot of work there. Like there, all of a sudden there was enough work where the same friends that had been coming over were just they show up every day because mm -hmm. they knew there was stuff to do. And yeah, and yeah, and, and then yeah, then Squeaky Clean kind of happened, and it, it was. It was pretty cool because it, it was so organic. It was mm -hmm. just like, like I said, my friends coming through, and then we'd have like we, I hired like a producer early on, and then 
but then pretty much the whole rest of the staff was like we'd have kids come intern mm-hmm. and then they'd be interning for a while and then we'd be like fuck all right well we, we got so much work we need some more staff like yeah. let's just hire chris he's great he's been interning here yeah. for six months and he's awesome like that so That's like cool. at one point like almost the entire staff was like former interns of mm-hmm. squeaky clean and yeah and it just grew us this great kind of family feeling of like just kid, like we we're all kids none of us came from the really any industry like mm-hmm. we were all just kids and and uh no one was from the music industry or from advertising either and but we all like liked each other a lot and had a lot of fun it was, it was kind of like a gang mentality so what's the best and worst thing about building a company that way uh okay that's a good question uh i mean the best thing is that it's fu- it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's so fun because it's like your best friends and everybody's just on the same team, and it feels like a gang kind of. Yeah. And and uh, and yeah, and we we were like, and and there was like a feeling of like punk rock. Fuck all the this industry shit. We're just gonna do shit our way. Mm-hmm. And but there was you know I think in the beginning there was also a lack of kind of grown up supervision sure. like there was no grown ups around yeah so like we showed up like no one answered the phone till noon mm-hmm. because but that's cuz we were working and everybody was in the mm-hmm. studio till like 6 a.m. yeah but like you know I'm sure the people were that were working with us were like yeah they're cool but like they don't even no one gets right. in until noon so yeah uh, yeah, so there was a lack of like, yeah, grown supervision and 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 kind of maybe yeah, professionalism and client service at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we kind of we and we kind of knew that too, but we just didn't really give sure. a fuck. We yeah. just like well, we're gonna do things our way, and this is how we work. Yeah. Um. And but yeah, eventually we kind of needed to go get go like actually function like a professional business and so what what made you realize that just hearing from enough people like that they want to work with us but right. they were afraid because they yeah. know like you know that 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 they think we might not be professional enough and, sure and uh you know we were actually were really we never like missed deadlines or fucked off we just like okay we were super pros and we did a great job at everything we just didn't want to get in right. <laughs> before noon. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and yeah, and we didn't have like the, we weren't like like most of these companies like you you know that are in advertising are super clients. Like you come in and it's this beautiful place and there's this beautiful yeah. receptionist and she's like, would you like a latte with almond or whatever? Uh-huh. And like Squeaky Clean was in like my house. Like right. I built I like I built a studio in my house. Sage Vaughn and my buddy Acorn had like painted the entire place. It was mm. in literally like it was called Crack Alley Studios. Okay. When we moved there, there was like crackheads everywhere. There was yeah. actually a crack ha- house down the down the alley from yeah, where yeah. we were at. So it was in this like fucked up location. The house was felt really amazing and creative, but there was no like latte machine or whatever. <laughs> like you came in and you were in the kitchen, right? And there was like probably a bunch of keyboards stacked up. There and yeah. uh, and you know it was like, but I think people liked it for that reason too, because sure. they were like, yeah. "Whoa, this place is like real. This is legit." Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it was that. Yeah, I think at some point we we're like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta maybe we're gonna stay what we're gonna stay creative and and other like not just kind of conform to what the industry is doing, but maybe we need to like grow up a little bit and uh-huh. you know. 
I mean, I think that's a really hard decision for companies to make. You know, you know, I've had some of that throughout my career of like because because I think it's easy to like or I should say it's hard to understand where that magic comes from. Right? And and it's easy to tell yourself that we're so good and creative because this is our environment and and sort of not understand the trade-offs that come with that. Yeah. Right, and, and you know, because sure, like clients come to expect, you know, almond lattes, but they can get that anywhere where where what they're getting from you, maybe they can't get, you know yeah. what I mean? As far as the, the output. Yeah. I mean, what I kind of realized is like, like this isn't what's making us great. What's making us great is the art is what we're making. Yeah. You know, we make great stuff. And that was like, if we, uh, if we, if we keep making great shit, and just because we're more buttoned up doesn't mean that we're not going to keep making great shit and, sure. and people are going to still want to work with us. Did somebody help you figure that out or did you just sort of get it already? I mean, I feel like I've had so many people help me figure out, uh, like, yeah, I, I've had a lot of great kind of mentors in my okay. life and, and, and uh, you know, that's like, you know, early on, actually, this is cool. Like early on, this company Stemung, right when I started the company, actually, uh, there was this other music company, Stemung, and I, I, I was do uh, somehow, I got in touch with the head of the company, and they were so cool because mm. they were just like, "Yo, this is how the industry works. This is what you need to do." Nice. And even though they knew that oh, it's going to be a competitor, they were mm-hmm. so cool. And as far as just sharing how everything kind of worked that uh that that you know they were but they still just let me know kind of gave me the lowdown on the industry and everything and and so from that point on i was like this is how i will always be i'm never gonna like covet my industry secrets (laughs) i want to be a person that shares and, and and props up the people yeah, that's dope. So then, yeah, I actually had, there was a couple other companies, there was this company called Rock, Paper, Scissors, mm-hmm. and Linda and Angus, who own that company, I would, did one of my first commercials with them, and they always, like, would give me advice, I'd always call them, and there's this woman named Jen Dennis, who works at RSA, mm-hmm. who now, who actually later brought me on, I'm like, uh, I, I, I'm a director at RSA, and hey, wonderful, one of their uh, subsidiary companies, mm-hmm. and she ended up bringing me on as a director there, but she was somebody that was always just like, like, you know, hey, if you need anything, you need advice about anything, just call me. And these people would be super real with me. Like, yo, I heard, like, people are talking that you guys are kind of like like kids and not being yeah. super pro or whatever. So nice. These, I had people around me that would really tell me what's up and, and uh, give me great advice and be real with me when, you know, especially when it's like I really needed to know that it was... Sure. Something needed to change. So I mean, that seems such a hard thing as as people as you become successful. Seems like there's fewer and fewer people willing to just sort of tell you the truth. Yeah. Is that? Um, I see. I think that you see that certainly <clears throat> with like famous people and stuff like where. Yeah. You know, they got famous at a certain age, and then at that age, they kind of stopped growing and maturing because there was right. no one around them. Everyone was yes men, no one mm-hmm. around them telling them, like, yo, you can't act like that. That's not cool. Right. Uh, but I think for me personally, like, I don't do well with people like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't do well with weak people. Like, I need strong people around me. I've ha- Over the course of the years, I've hired people around me that 
at times were not real strong and mm -hmm. I never got along with them. Like mm -hmm. if somebody just said yes to me always, it was always like, I just didn't get along. I like people that are real strong and argue with me and say, I hate being told no. Right. But I also respect people that sure. will tell me no if they can justify that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think, yeah, the ability to probably have strong people around you. Like even recently, I think I had somebody that was in kind of a leadership position at my company and they were not comfortable with people disagreeing with them or having strength mm. around them. And I think ultimately it was kind of, it, it made them not as powerful as they could be. I mm -hmm. think mm -hmm. that ability is, a, you know, having a strong will and being, and being really single-minded has strength as well because it can get you, I think it can drive you and, and you can create stuff with force of will, but also, yeah, being, I think, yeah, being able to be disagreed with is, is an important, and, and hearing people when they're right is, sure. is an important skill. So how do you navigate that? Because on the one hand, you know, what you just described, I would think of as good leadership, right? The ability to hear different points of view and be open to being wrong, whatever. <clears throat> on the other hand, I think as a creative person, you need to have a really strong point of view about what something's supposed to sound like or look like or, or the, the product that you're making, right? Um, yeah. So how, how do you balance those? Fuck, I don't know. I think uh, part of it is being like really intuitive as far as knowing, like knowing, like I have a network of people that I like to play stuff for. Mm -hmm. And I know where their personal shit gets in the way too. Mm -hmm. And then like, so like, for, and then sometimes I really like playing stuff for people that have no idea. Like I remember I had this girlfriend and I would, she was the best for playing shit because she would yeah. tell me exactly what I, what I already knew. She would right. confirm it. But it was so simple the way she would, she'd be like, this part's weird. Mm -hmm. You know, she would just say right. something like that right, and, right. I'd, and I'd be like, Oh yeah, like I know yeah. that that part needs some work. I knew that, but uh, you know, and uh, but That's yeah, great. I think having a network of people that you bounce stuff off and uh -huh. you know what they're good. You know, some people have certain hangups about something stuff, and you know, like okay, I can't talk to this person about this thing, but they're great at when I ask them for advice about this particular type of quandary, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I think it's important to have those type of people. And then even like, you know, from working with Kanye, like that dude plays shit for everyone. Is that right? He will play it for you and ask you your opinion. Hey, hey, I'm known for running my mouth. I will not be accountable for what comes out. Uh, I don't know. I might have said it. I was kind of down. And I remember the first time he played me something and asked me my opinion, I was like, yeah, it's cool. And he was like, Sam, he was like, stop. He's like, Sam, I don't ever want you to just say, yeah, it's cool. I want you to give me your real opinion about stuff. Whenever yeah. I play you something, I want to know exactly how you feel and what you think. And I was like, okay, cool, man. Like, rad. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. And, and then I noticed, like, everybody that would come through, whenever we were working on some shit, he would play it for people and really get their opinion mm. and want to know it and listen. As strong-willed as that guy is, yeah, because he doesn't seem a guy that you could give feedback to. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he is uh, really. It's, it seems hard to imagine, and I haven't worked with him for a few years, and there's a chance he might have changed. But in my experience, 
he actually had a lot of humility creatively mm -hmm. and gave props to people around him, mm -hmm. but also really listened. I mean, his, his art is like, it's not just him. It, he mm -hmm. guides it. He's mm -hmm. the captain, you know? But For there's sure. a whole team of people that are always working on stuff, and there's very little ego involved, actually, in the creation process. It process I think it's whatever's be the best idea wins mm. in, the, in that creative room, and, uh, and that's what makes him so great, you know? Like, Interesting. And, uh, but it's weird because it doesn't seem like that at all. I remember when I met him, I was like, whoa, this guy's really humble. The yeah. first time I met him, I said that. And I was talking to Mark Ronson about it, and he's like, what do you think of Kanye? This was very early on. This was even before I, just before I started working with How'd him. How'd you meet Kanye? I met Kanye at Sundance okay. the first time. Uh, he was performing there. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And then like a I year was... or two later, I ended up working with him. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I was like, had, and then I talked to Mark about it a, few, like, a little while long. He's like, what do you think? I was like, he's cool. He seems like a really humble guy. And this was before Kanye was all in the press being like crazy, mm -hmm. insane, crazy shit. And then Mark was like cracking up. And I was like, what? He's like, dude, the, like, Kanye is known for having an ego. Right, and then when I met him, it just furthered that I was like, "This guy is—he has a lot of humility. He's really, yeah, he's got a lot of humility." And I remember him even saying this to me. He was like, "Dude, he's like that shit I do in the press. It's kind of like just, you know, to get people to pay attention." You know, mm -hmm. he said that to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, who knows? Sometimes, like, I think people become the sure. like their their the their. their character people yeah. create a character and then they can become it and maybe yeah. he's become it maybe not but I certainly in the time I spent working with him I was always really impressed by his cr lack of kind of creative ego and, mm. and, and humility wow nice you yeah. wouldn't expect that yeah yeah it's not something you hear much right about no Kanye. definitely not I hope you're enjoying this. I know I am. Don't forget to dig into the Rebel Radio archives. I got a great interview with Claude Von Stroke, founder of Dirty Bird Recordings and Events. If you're, if you're digging Sam's stories, I think you'll like what Claude has to say as well. So don't forget that one too. But not until you finished our interview with Sam Spiegel. Um, so, so the commercial stuff blows up. Um, and uh, what made you go back to, to artistry? I never stopped doing okay. that stuff, you know? Like, while the commercial stuff, I'd be, like, working on a Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's record from, okay. like, whatever, like, you know, 10 or 1, 1 p.m. till 10 p.m., and then they'd mm -hmm. leave, and then I'd be doing commercials until, you know, 6 in the morning or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, it was always, like, I always kind of did both. I could never let go of it because... Of being an artist and being a, a like an art maker, not just a, like a commerce or advertising. Yeah. Because to me, just doing the advertising, it's just it doesn't fulfill all the like parts of my whatever being that need to be expressed. You know, if mm -hmm. I and uh, is there a conflict for you with with that? With like, you know, the sort of um, whatever the kind of punk rock you know, mentality, doing skate stuff to then doing TV commercials? No, it, you know, I mean, I'd never work on a commercial of something I really don't believe in, you okay. know? If I mean, I know like Adidas a, has been, you know, one of, your, one of your big customers, not the only one, obviously, yeah. but... and that, like, but like you you've know, worked on a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, you know, like, 
Yeah, I've had, and I wouldn't work on something that I didn't believe in. Like if it okay. was like you know like like I don't think I could work on something for the armed forces, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, but you know, you know. Otherwise, I don't. I, I never had a problem with it. I I thought it was really fun. It, it gave me this opportunity to do like every type of music. I could be sitting. I could be, you know, spend a day doing like a polka thing and then I'm doing like some banging hip hop shit and then I do like a classical piece. Right. And, you know, and I loved that and it was yeah. fun because it was fun. It's like inst- this instant gratitude thing where you see it, you make it and then like right away, like millions and millions of people are seeing it on TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then also the great thing with Squeaky Clean is that we always got to do the coolest stuff like it, kind of what you were saying. It's like we always got yeah. the op- opportunity to do a song with whoever, Karen O for a commercial that ended up, and then we put it out as a single, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there was, even within the advertising stuff, there was always a really a creative outlet and some creative freedom just because of the type of work that we, we, we have tended to do over the years. Yeah. But even so, like, I still always did a lot of other projects too that that weren't based on on jobs mm-hmm. just because uh, just because I wanted to and it was sure. fun. Yeah. And uh, and and then so what made you want to do NASA? Uh, NASA, just because I wanted to do an artist project, I think, and 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 uh, you know, I also wanted the opportunity to kind of like work with all my heroes, and I was like. And it kind of came, I think, ultimately, and, and then, you know, I met Zagon also, and, and got, I was really inspired by him, and was really inspired by Brazil at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so, you know, ended up, uh, you know, making all these beats pretty inspired by Brazilian funk and soul music from the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. and then kind of came up with the concept of NASA, NASA with, you know, together, and, and and I was also like always a space fanatic too, so uh, so North NASA was North America, South America. But mm-hmm. being a space fanatic, I was like, wow, this is great because it can also be like space themed and sure. stuff. And 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 then I was also like, and this is a, I can go work with all my heroes. Like, let's mm-hmm. do this crazy collaboration record, and then I can go get in touch with all my heroes and do songs with them. Yeah. And I think it was in an era before like nowadays, like every song has a ton of features, but. Right. It was something that I think hadn't really been done that much at that time moment in time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just felt like a fun kind of adventure, to go, like creative adventure to go on. I could go fly around the world and go find my favorite artists and work with them. And was there a point where you thought that would be like, that that would ever be a full-time thing? Or was it always like, this is just, a, this is a project? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think... I think I'm just like, I am the way I'm built is like that I like to do a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just keeps me inspired, you know. And NASA, there was plenty of moments where NASA has been a full-time thing, you know, like mm-hmm. touring and sure, stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I think just the way I'm built, I I, I, I take on a lot of different projects and, and, and I have a lot of different ideas that I want to kind of get out and... Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, and I think you can do that within the context of like a band or group or or whatever too. But uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I've just gravitated towards having multiple projects, maybe mm-hmm. to the detriment of like the overall vision. But it's just that's who I am. Yeah. 
So does that, um, like, does that project change the game for you in terms of like your, your uh, commercial business or, or is it? I mean, yeah, definitely, you know, one thing for, yeah, definitely, like, I'd go travel, we'd, I'd play, like, Summer Sonic or whatever, mm -hmm. and then we'd do a big, like, advertising squeaky clean thing when I was in Japan, mm -hmm. and then, like, we got tons of work in Japan after that, you know, okay. it definitely, it's, like, a great, a great kind of, I mean, people in agencies and in the creative industry love knowing that the people they're, work with, who they're working with are attached to real culture. Yeah. real relevant cultural stuff and yeah. uh, rather than just being more like you know advertising service based businesses these are real kind of real influencers and real uh yeah culture culturally relevant relevant artists mm -hmm. and uh so yeah i think that really helped definitely really helped squeaky clean quite a bit yeah well so i've always you know i've sort of based my career on the idea that culture and advertising need each other and that there is a um, right way for them to kind of fit together um, and I think you probably have as well in, in certain ways but there's obviously a lot of tension in that idea there's a lot of people on both sides I think who who don't get that and you know either feel like I think especially on the on the culture side to feel like you know that that the brand money or is a you know at best it's a distraction and maybe it's detrimental to culture yeah i mean i think i feel like it's less and less mm -hmm. i mean definitely you know in the 90s and stuff i think there was a huge stigma <clears throat> and before that probably a big stigma against doing anything that was brand related for sure uh i think more and more artists and you know, are are seeing the brands more as like, and and the brands also are seeing themselves more as like patrons of the arts, mm -hmm. where they just almost like the Medici's, uh, you know, mm -hmm. of the of the Renaissance, like where they're like, hey, we just want to attach ourselves to great culture, and and that makes us look great, and and I think that's true. I think yeah. I think there's been great moments of companies where they just were the coolest company in the world because they knew that they uh, just by attaching themselves to this great stuff that it it showed that they were really plugged in you know i think so what brands do you think do the best job uh i think red bull does a really amazing job mm -hmm. uh at that i mean they amaze me with their you know music academies and just being you know like i've recently gotten really into break dancing mm -hmm. and uh like I went to a, free, a Red Bull Freestyle Championship yeah, yeah. here in LA. Yeah, yeah, I went and I took my son. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It was so cool. And uh, and just like now that, I mean, they're obviously real plugged into breakdancing, but so many different things, sports mm -hmm. and culture, cultural, uh, you know, uh, niches that they're really, really uh, uh, involved in and, and help help the sports and help the culture. And, and uh yeah, and, and even just, you know, I, I've worked in their studios quite a bit in different places in the world, even like mm -hmm. Cape Town and stuff. And nice. it's just such a cool thing that they provide these ways for artists to and musicians to create, you know. Yeah. And, and the Academy, too. The Academies are, are amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I think Nike has been great about it. I think there's been moments where Nike was stronger 
and mm -hmm. I think I remember like around like yeah when you were at Herb and mm -hmm. and everything and like the, it felt like there was real amazing stuff around Nike. I remember just feeling like uh, yeah it was like they were doing shit with Oshamios mm -hmm. and like and Beautiful Losers that thing they did and mm -hmm. it was just so cool I, you know it would just be like oh you're gonna go to the Nike show this week the Nike right. art show this weekend or whatever and yeah whoever would be DJing and oh yeah we did a couple of events at the Blue House yeah and the Blue then. House yeah, yeah that was so dope and uh, you know I think for whatever reason, maybe they haven't been as cultural lately, but uh, mm -hmm. that was I felt like that was a great moment and era. Uh, Who else? Uh, I guess Sonos has been great. We've done a bunch of great stuff with Sonos. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we did this great um, song with Karen O. Like a ver it's like kind of like a boogie version of uh, I Shot the Sheriff on mm -hmm. for a uh, for a Sonos commercial, and yeah. then we did an event at you know, at, at their space and they got their Sonos studios and, and they do some really cool stuff there. I think mm -hmm. that's a great company. Um, and obviously Adidas, we've had uh, a lot of great stuff with Adidas. And then also uh, uh, Kenzo is now somebody that, that we're mm. doing a lot of stuff with and cool. I've had a lot of fun working with them you know uh, their creative director is a good uh, creative directors are good friends of mine carol okay. umberto yeah and whom they also own opening ceremony oh, cool. who have uh, doing, done a bunch of great stuff with yeah but uh they yeah they're really cool because now like lately we're just doing a ton of projects with them and and they're really fun projects that are really like where I get a chance and squeaky clean gets a chance to not just be involved in making original music for the piece but there's like event series around mm -hmm. stuff and, and it, it has bigger life than just doing a commercial. Nice. And uh, you know, that's like, you know, that's, you know, the Kenzo World piece that I did with Spike and them mm -hmm. where, you know, we got to do, we did the song and then the song, you know, and this, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and the film, which was online and, and uh, song ended up, you know, having a life of its own. And then, and now we're doing this, this like event series in different cities where we're doing performances with Ryan Heffington, the choreographer and, nice. and, uh, and parties and, yeah. and, uh, that's oh, been really that's cool. fun. Yeah. And then also recently I did this really great thing with Kenzo and H and M where, uh, well, and we worked with, uh, this like kind of legendary French artist, Jean-Paul Goud mm. and, uh, did this like crazy, it was like a, it was really, it was like a fashion show, but it was really more than that because it was, uh, there was like over 200 performers. Oh, wow. It was, there was no like runway walk. It was yeah. like, you know, orchestra. And I got to, do, you know, put this piece of music together. It was like orchestra. It was the Dap King's horns. Cool. I had Kenny Muhammad beatboxing. Mm -hmm. uh, I was scratching. We had, um, and we had like over 200 dancers and, uh, just put this crazy show together and and uh nice. and then there was a commercial series that 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 was part of it and uh you know uh, and uh and and then you know we're releasing the, the music as well and, and yeah, I, cool. i'm having fun with stuff like that and with kenzo it's great because you get to just it's like very multifaceted and mm -hmm. and uh and these bigger projects and where it's like just doing music for a commercial or that's awesome yeah so when you talk to brands obviously some of them don't get it this sort of connection to culture yeah. what, are, what are they missing uh, I mean I think there's I think 
they there's there can be a lack of imagination you know i mean it, it's i think some brands are smart in knowing that just having being attached to something and not having a direct sales pitch is a much cooler mm-hmm. look for them yeah and maybe some brands actually need that more than other brands do too you know like maybe there's certain brands that that it doesn't make some sense for them to be like a you know be a an influencer with a cultural influence that's a good point yeah yeah maybe it's not for every brand but but i think brands that are um you know have a, a like more of a following and feel more cultural that's like a lot of sneaker brands sure. and clothing brands music brands uh, yeah, I think, I don't know, I think, I'm not sure why, but, you know, some, it's just hard for them to see their, you know, a lot of the people running the, these companies might not be culture or mm-hmm. cultural people or, you know, they're yeah, like, sure. there might be more like, you know, business type people that aren't, don't care about music, don't care about art, whatever, and, and so it's hard for them to see like, well, why would that matter? Why, I, I don't care about like, you know, graffiti or whatever, right. like, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, I, I do feel like so much of it comes down to the people on both sides of the table, right? Like in, in the, you know, in my business, we've always found that we do our best work when there's somebody, like the specific person at the client that really gets it and really wants, you know, whether or not they're like necessarily fans of this particular genre or whatever, Right, but they get how this, you know, music and culture impacts people, and they want to do that for the company that they work at. Yeah, you know what I mean. And when it's just, I mean, I got a, I got an email from a guy yesterday who's like, you know, a friend of mine that's been trying to help me get into this big brand where he works, and he said, look, we're never going to do something together because there's not enough imagination over here because these guys just don't think that way. So like, wait till I go work somewhere else. You know what I mean? And like. Because that's just how it is. Yeah. I think, you know, it's easy to assume that everybody, you know, that if it works in one scenario, that, that it works in another. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does, just doesn't. But I think maybe, yeah, I think there more and more companies are understanding it. And, you know, yeah. I think you're seeing it more and more. And, and companies are understanding. I think companies, it seems like companies are understanding more, like, about having cultural people at the core of their company sure and therefore and then these cultural people are you know or creative people are wanting to connect directly with creatives too and right. that's a, a big trend i've seen it yeah and i'm loving it you know with kenzo like you know i love working with agencies but at with kenzo it's this great opportunity because i'm working directly with the creative directors of the brand there's no yeah. middlemen yeah and there's just a real and there's a certain lack of fear because of that and Mm -hmm. and respect because they are coming directly to me because they respect my kind of artistry and there there's just a like you're taking out a a layer of kind of opinions and 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 and, uh second guessing that Mm -hmm. i think is it's refreshing yeah and i feel like the work I mean, like what's coming out of it is, is you, you know, you can see that it's, it feels maybe a little more pure mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. And, and so I think, yeah, a lot of these like 
you have brands that are being like, all right, well, let's just work. Let's can we get in touch directly with this artist or this right. musician? I yeah. think it's it's really. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's rewarding, and, and I'm having fun. It is, and those people, you know, people that work at brands, if they're those kind of people, like they want to spend time around creative people, right? Like. You know, they spend so much of their time in boardrooms talking to each other that, you know, I've seen this, that the opportunity to, to connect with a, someone who's famous or whose work you respect or whatever, like, it just, it's a totally different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely a, a good development. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. I, 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 and I want to do more of that stuff. And, and it's also great, also because you end up getting like a good rapport with somebody. Yeah. Like I'm a bunch of projects deep with Kenzo now. Yeah. And we there's like a, a you right. know as you work with somebody there becomes this kind of unspoken communication where you just yeah. like know each other and and and. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's so what's the next big goal for you? Uh, man, I got a. I mean, I'm putting out. Uh, I got a lot of stuff I'm working on right now, and. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm really excited about Squeaky Clean. You know, I think Squeaky Clean's we're gonna we're poised to kind of grow into some other territories and mm -hmm. opening up some other uh, oh cool uh, uh, home bases. We do have home yeah. bases in Chicago and New York now, mm -hmm. but really want to grow those out and and uh, we do quite a bit of work in uh, in in Japan. And I'd like to nice. have like actually like a home there because I, yeah. I mean it's like my favorite place in the world. Is it? Yeah, I love it. Um, so I'm excited about, I'm really, I've been really like spending a lot of time with Squeaky Clean recently and it's just like, I love our team there and, and, uh, and yeah, I'm just having fun with it. It's a fun, creative place. Um, yeah. so I'm excited about that and, uh, I'm, I'm putting out records with Interscope Records now and, and, uh, have some kind of big releases I'm excited about there. I, I'd, uh, Under NASA? No, just, I'm, I'm actually just using my real name. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm Sam Spiegel now for the first time. So, wow. uh, yeah. Kind of put NASA on the shelf, and um, and what, what's what are you doing? Uh, I just got some really dope records that I'm excited about. Yeah, just yeah. the kind of music I like and like to hear. It's like, nice. And 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 you know, and it's playable and and kind of festival situations. I love performing, so I, I kind of haven't done that much of that. I DJ quite a bit, but I haven't yeah. done like much hard ticket touring in the past few years. Yeah. So I'm excited to go do that a bit more and. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited about some of these these Interscope releases, and it's really fun too because with the with my music now, I'm, I'm I you know I directed my first video uh, like oh, the cool. year before last, and yeah. uh, went to India and shot it, and now oh I saw that uh, yeah yeah, yeah that, was, that was amazing that was crazy thank you I mean, yeah. appreciate it, it was that cool. was um, Jihad Love Song G Jihad Love Squad yeah Jihad Love yeah. Squad yeah. <laughs> Dude, that was dope. Thanks, man. And I know it was like a little bit controversial. Yeah, it was a tough, it was an interesting experience. It was a crazy experience. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I just like, uh, but it was definitely tough. Yeah, like my, my manager ended up quitting because of that. And, really? And uh, publicist kind of yeah. boycotted it. Or she didn't officially boycott it, but she didn't really support it. And, uh, and uh, So that's back to what we were talking about with that sort of strong point of view that's maybe not bending yeah right so so was that a scenario where you had to like I mean clearly you had to decide like we're gonna keep doing this or yeah we're gonna... 
Yeah, no, that was a case of I heard, you know, yeah, I made the video mm -hmm. and people freaked out mm -hmm. and I didn't think it was justified. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I think I'm very capable of listening to people. But in this particular case, I was like, you know, it was it, the video, you know, for people that are listening and don't know, it's, it's kind of it deals with some sensitive stuff around, uh, you know, Islam. And uh, and it, it's a you know kind of a story about somebody that you think is a suicide bomber. Yeah. But uh, they, she, she ends up, and you think she's going to go, uh, well, whatever. Anyway, check the video. I don't want to ruin it for you guys, but uh, check it out. But anyway, uh, it, it's a really positive video, and I think that my team was freaking out about it because they maybe weren't giving people credit for mm -hmm. uh, understanding kind of what the video was about and just that people were going to just hate it and freak out because it had the word jihad in it, and it was sure. about, uh, you know, potentially might be about a suicide bomber yeah. and I think actually they thought that kind of the, uh, the, the Islamic world would really hate it and mm -hmm. they were afraid actually that people would be violently opposed to it uh, versus actually giving people credit for looking into it and seeing that there's a really positive message behind it and yeah and uh, which is what people and you know the only place that really people actually heard about it because there was no press done yeah. on it was in India and in the Middle East and um, Interesting. That's where people embraced it. The only mm -hmm. people that didn't like it was like these like right wing, you know, where there was a real strong reaction against it was like some real like right wing kind of uh, uh, like, you know, xenophobic mm -hmm. Muslim hating kind of right wing American people that really okay. didn't like it. Uh, but the people that. Fuck those people. Anyway. Yeah, fuck those people. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, good. I want yeah, them to hate my music. Exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so, you know, it was, uh, but yeah, that was a case where I was just like, I know, like my manager was like, if you put this out, I quit. Mm. I can't support this. I think somebody's going to come try and hurt me if, if I'm associated with this. And I was just like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. I love you. I love that manager. Actually, she's a great person and, and I've known her for years and years. And, and, uh, but I was just like, I have to release this. This is a yeah. important, very important thing for me. It was a very important thing I needed to express and, and I'm really proud of it. And I, you know, so I just released it anyway, you know, and, uh, and even though her and my publicist were kind of mm -hmm. really vehemently opposed to it, yeah. I just had to do it. Yeah. So yeah, but I, you know, in other case, there's been other cases where people said shit, and I was like, okay, you're right. Sure. This isn't the right move. So is there is there a decision you can think of that's had the biggest impact on your career? One decision? Mm. Oh, man, that's pretty tough. Or is it like a bunch of? You know, I'm always interested. I like, is it is it one big thing, or is it or is it these little things along the way that we don't necessarily notice like when it's happening yeah man i don't know i think yeah for for me it's probably been a lot more little things i don't know yeah. but it's weird no so i think it's both sometimes mm -hmm. like there are certain people or artists or whatever that just keep making stuff and making stuff and making stuff and there's nothing that like the one thing that pops for them you mm -hmm. know uh but they just keep making stuff and growing and, and building their audience and and building what they do and then yeah i think then there's other people that might be doing stuff and I mean it's weird as far as the stuff that people have has like have liked that I've done because sometimes I have no idea and then like you know I just I'm doing stuff and doing stuff and then mm -hmm. something people like you know freak out about one particular project or one song or whatever but yeah I think I don't know I think it's different for everybody you know yeah sure I, 
I think for me, I just keep doing whatever interests me, and like you know, I, I just try and you know, just whatever is inspiring me is much more important than the money, and mm -hmm. much more important than really anything else. Is that I'm like excited about it, and it's gonna kind of bring me like joy making it. So you're talking about you know, especially early on working with your crew, like that doesn't really feel like work. It feels like you know you're hanging out with friends, yeah, doing fun stuff. What part of the job feels like work? Um, I mean, at time, you know, like with Squeaky Clean, like I think managing, like I love, I like, I actually love being a businessman. And I think I actually, when I was growing up, I used to think like, or even when I was like starting out, I was like, oh, like I could be, you know, like my parents kind of come from business. And mm -hmm. I was like, I could be a businessman or I could be an artist or right. whatever. Yeah. And I, or I could be a businessman, or I could be creative. Sorry. Sure. And then, and then once I started doing Squeaky Clean, I was like, oh wait, like, actually, being a business person is a creative thing too. Mm -hmm. Like I created a company, mm -hmm. you know, and 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 I continue to be creative with it. It's an idea that you kind of imagine and changes along the way, and you nurture the vision and you feed it here and you feed it like just the same way that you make a piece of art. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I love that side of 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 of, actually, of of being a business person that it is a creative thing and, and uh, you know uh, I think sometimes the management is hard because I think sometimes I just want to make stuff like I like making stuff mm -hmm. like I don't like the strategy strategizing and everything and thinking about stuff I like it but I like getting out there and right. making stuff and that's part of, part of that's making a company. Is it Man like you're impatient? Well, it's just managing personalities is yeah. complicated, you know. Yeah. Like people are emotional by nature, and and mm -hmm. and uh, and you know, and I think that's been you know, especially creative people. I think tend to be plugged into that. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, I think that's that's been a, definitely been a challenge. Is like you know, sometimes having to be like the yeah the manager or whatever the the, the you know when when I just want to be like making. Stuff is like having to be the, 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 the like dad in the room or whatever. Sure. That's like, yeah, yeah. are you upset? What's going on? You know. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't know. Like I care about the people around me, and and, yeah. and so I I'm usually pretty proactive about that those kind of conversations. But um, and I like people make sure people everybody's happy and and uh, so I guess it's okay that part of it. I guess there's been moments when mm -hmm. I was really overwhelmed mm -hmm. that it felt uh, it felt hard, but yeah. I mean, it's okay. It's just. I mean, it sounds like you found a way to kind of bring your own style into into even that part of the business. Yeah. Which is great. I mean. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, like I'm a. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I think people feel comfortable at Squeaky Clean talking about their feelings a lot. Mm -hmm. I do. I'm somebody that talks about my feelings a lot. Maybe people at the company do too. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's that thing where, like, you know, everybody's always talking about, like, you know, millennials and how everybody needs to talk about their feelings and express themselves. And yeah. maybe maybe it's, like, too emotional. People are too concerned about their feelings rather than making greatness at this moment in our, sure. our, our society or whatever. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I think it's good for people to feel comfortable. Yeah, I think it's just got... 
really popular to kind of complain about millennials. Yeah. And like, you know, granted, some of it, some of the way that that generation operates is so different from what came before, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And like, you know, I think it's, that's just a, that's just sort of a popular theme to like gripe about that. Yeah, it is, right? Yeah. Like we're, it makes me feel like an old person. Right? <laughs> Goddamn millennials. <laughs> um, so I have a little lightning round that uh, I want to go through with you. Um, so if you can go back and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say? Um, uh, just like follow what you're what you want to do follow your heart follow follow your heart i guess follow your whatever excites you yeah is there a talent that you always wish you had more of uh i mean yeah i wish i could be a rapper is that right i mean how cool would like rappers <laughs> are the coolest like yeah okay I never was a good rapper, but I no. always wish I could. And you tried? Yeah, I tried. Sure. Yeah. Um, what about if you were going to choose some career that had nothing to do with music or film? Is there something else you'd do? Uh, I don't know, man. I think it would be pretty cool to be like a professional surfer. Okay. Because they just basically go around to all the dopest places in the world and yeah, that'd be awesome. Living. Yeah. So if I worked at Squeaky Clean, um, oh, also astronaut, because I really want to go to the moon. Right. I mean, I think I will go to the moon. Are you gonna go? Yeah, I'm going. Okay. Nice. I don't think I would like that. No. I mean, it's there's that like little kid in me that's like, that would be so exciting, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't like the process. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd get into it. I I. I Recently learned to scuba dive. Oh, yeah. Actually, like, yeah, see, I don't ago. think I would like that either. Oh, man, that was amazing. I get mildly claustrophobic. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Yeah, if you wouldn't like it. Do you love scuba? I love it, yeah. Really? I mean, I just did it, like, uh, the, I got certified, like, a few weeks ago. Yeah. And, like, our first certified dive was, like, through this, like, in this lava tube. It was crazy. Wow. Dude, kind of, that kind of is like going to space. It's probably the it closest is. thing we have. That's exactly what I was like. This is as close yeah. to being, uh, like, in outer space. So, yeah. it, Awesome. may ever experience. Nice. So, uh, so if I worked as squeaky clean or, or was on your team, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Um, like, pr- probably like, it's got to be great. Because mm-hmm. I think one thing in a service industry, people get to like, just be like, want to satisfy people. And for me, it's not just about that. It's like a, about making something great every yeah. time. Yeah, that's so valuable because I, you know, I've run into that a lot where, you know, people assume that if a client's happy, then the, the work is done. And you know, and I always say like, that's important, but that's not enough on its own. That we have to know that what we're doing is great. I, yeah. Same thing, right? That first of all. A lot of clients aren't going to tell you. They're not going to tell you until it's too late. Yeah. Right. And so you, you know, you, you like we we're talking about. Like you're not going to get, like, real honest feedback from clients, in a lot of cases, or at least you shouldn't go in expecting that. And then, but yeah, I think it's got to have more meaning. 
Why? What do you mean? Why? Why? Why wouldn't they be honest? Because they don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, you get every type of different client. Some some might enjoy hurting your feelings, mm -hmm. or like enjoy the power that they get in expressing whatever right. is on their mind. Yeah. But others are not like that, yeah. you know. And and we we've had clients that way where maybe the boss is just like wants doesn't want confrontation, right? right. So they're not going to tell you. Yeah, they don't want to deal with it. They just want to tell you. You know, they don't want to tell you, and then they get to a point where it's just like, hey, you're fired, you know, and they have this long list of stuff that was never shared with you, but they, they don't have to do that. Yeah. You know, um, so, but, you know, and also, like, you don't want, even if they are going to tell you, you don't want them to have to be the ones that catch everything, mm -hmm. right? And so I think you have to, like, but... Maybe even beyond that, like you got to make your work meaningful exactly. to yourself, right? Yeah, you got to be proud of everything you're doing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good one. Um, who would you be most excited to learn is a fan of your work? Um, uh, well, I like Stanley Kubrick, probably. Wow. He's like my favorite yeah. artist. Yeah, nice. Um, are you are you a collector? What do you collect? I collect sneakers. I'm actually okay. I've spent years collecting sneakers. I'm actually like now like liquidating. I have too I'm many sneakers. A lot of that. I have t like my I have a whole closet downstairs just full of sneakers. So yeah. now I'm like starting to get rid of some of my sneakers. Finally, after years okay. and years, I love sneakers. Why? Why? So I'm I'm hearing a lot of that from friends, and I never collected. I wear my shoes like. I buy shoes and wear them. Yeah. Um, but uh, why did why so? What makes you collect and now decide to to get rid of that? Um, I collect the, because I just love. I think they're beautiful and mm -hmm. cool, and I love them. And and uh, I mean that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. uh, and now actually, I'm just in general trying to like feel like you know you, you know this is a cliche but your possessions kind of possess you mm -hmm. you know and I, right mm -hmm. now I'm just trying to like I made uh, you know I this year I want to just be like homeless a little bit like actually that was one of my things for this year I was like I want to go be homeless for I want to just float mm -hmm. I don't want to be too tied down you know mm -hmm. so uh and, and so in general I'm just trying to get a lot, rid of a lot of my possessions and, and so that's why I'm getting rid of my stuff, not because I don't okay. like still love them. Yeah, sure. actually, I don't even like I don't even bang with sneakers like I used to though. Like I'm not obsessed with them. I think. Yeah, I think there's an age range. Nah, not for everybody. Uh, Clark Kent will probably never part with his <laughs> collection. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, uh, what's the last great book you read? The last great book I read. Oh man, I just read uh, earlier. Uh, I guess last year I just read. Uh, it was, it's called Buddha. Mm -hmm. It's an eight book. I actually never read any manga before, mm -hmm. but it's a, uh, it's an eight book manga series about the life of Buddha. Oh, wow. And, uh, man, it's amazing. It's really? so good. It's, it's like, I'm not Buddhist, you know, mm -hmm. but I just, I like, but I, you know, I just think he's so dope. He's such a amazing dude. And, and, yeah. uh, and this book is really cool. Cause you're not, it's like funny. It makes fun of itself. Uh-huh. Like you never read a read like a religious text that does that, no. but it just tells his story and it That's and, cool. and, and uh, yeah, it was, it was great. Nice. I really loved it. So I know you're a movie guy. What movie have you seen the most in your life? The most in yeah. my life. Um, 
Wow. Uh, maybe 2001. Okay. Yeah. I love that movie. That's a big watch. Yeah. It's a big watch. I used to, like, be pretty obsessed with it. I yeah. watch it over and over again. That one, I love Suspiria. I watched that, I like, know. a trillion times. Uh, Dario Argento was, like, a okay. horror movie from the late 70s. Okay. Uh, I mean, obviously, Star Wars, you mm -hmm. know, like, the first one. Mm -hmm. You know, had a VHS of that mm -hmm. uh, when I was growing up that just, like, worn out. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably those movies. Is there a movie that, like, you don't necessarily love it, but, like, uh, like, what's your best worst movie? The best worst movie. Huh. Like, you see it if it's on, <clears throat> but you'd never, like, seek it out. Like guilty pleasure kind of movie? Kind of. Or just like you just, you know, in the old days when you used to like channel yeah. surf and then you'd be like, oh, okay, I, I'll, I'll watch like whatever's left yeah. of that movie. Was oh, there, man. Is there one so of those? So many of those. Yeah. So many of those. Uh, fuck, what was on recently? I think I watched something. Damn. That's a tough one. I mean, not even best worst movie, but like, I saw Menace to Society with Oh, yeah. Like, man, that's so good. I just watched that the other day. Like, it just came back around. It's amazing. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. That might be better than Boys in the Hood. Oh, I definitely thought it was better. I like that better. Yeah. I mean, I love yeah. Boys in the Hood, too. You don't like it? I was, I don't know. I felt like it was so cliche. Right. You know? But, I mean... And didn't that, like, create the cliche? Well, yeah. Know? Yeah, that's fair. But, I, yeah. I mean, it was great. I don't... I don't want to pick on it too much. It was great. Um, you know what's interesting? They're talking about gentrification. Yeah. Do you remember that scene where Lawrence Fishburne was talking about gentrification in, in, in uh, oh yeah 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 in, uh, yeah. in Compton? Yeah. And I like I never even heard that word until right. like whatever two thousand. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's probably happening in Compton. Yeah. Crazy. Um, who's your favorite DJ? Favorite DJ. Um, Man, that's tough. Uh, you know, AM probably. Mm -hmm. Probably AM just because he was so versatile. He had so much, like, crazy skills. Yeah. And he could do, like, anything, too. You know, like, he could play super pop for mm -hmm. some, like, cheesy Vegas club, mm -hmm. but then be at, like, the, a super legit, like, a banana split that we always used to play. Mm -hmm. He could play hip-hop. He could play everything. Mm-hmm. Z Trip is definitely up there for me too, just yeah. as far as like party rock and DJs. For sure. Because yeah. I love, I mean, I'm I'm hip hop, so like you know, I love DJs with skills. Like mm -hmm. I love DJs that use vinyl and have skills. Definitely. You don't see much of that nowadays. No, not too much. But I love the DJs that can kind of combine that's like the skills with still having great t taste and knowing what's up. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, DJ Zagon too, man. That's my dude. Is that from right? NASA. I've never seen him. Yes, this is one of my favorite DJs. Nice. Well, man, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. Great thanks. stories. Yeah, good hanging, man. Good yeah, shit. Yeah, that. Yo, that was Sam Spiegel. Such great lessons from that man. Really talented dude. I hope you check out all his stuff online. Definitely listen to that NASA record. And, of course, watch out for his new stuff that he's got coming up. Uh, make sure you leave us a comment on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net, hit us on Facebook, watch our YouTube videos on our growing YouTube page, 
And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. <laughs>